Hey, good to see you today. We, uh, we started last week talking about some controversy in your life. There's been controversy in my life this week. <laughs> controversy that has actually caused a rift in our household. Uh -oh. Your mother and I have had difficult times speaking since Friday night. Great British baking show. We're down, we're down to the semifinals, right? Four people left. Four people left. Four very good bakers, no doubt. But there's one baker in particular that from the beginning we were like, here's the winner. He's, I, 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 I don't know, I don't want to blow it if y'all haven't seen it yet, but you know, he's the winner. This is the one. And Friday night they kicked him out. And I'm just like, I am devastated. I don't even know that I can function this morning. I'm trying my best. But, um, you know, so anyway. This, this is what it feels like every Illini football season. Every Illini basketball season, every Cardinal baseball hey, season. You're, you're talking to a Buffalo Bills fan, come on. So anyway, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And yeah. so it happens, and, and Shelly and I are sitting there in stunned disbelief. And, and, and Mom says, well, what did you expect? I'm like, what do you mean, what did I expect? So I don't, we're not talking today, because, I mean, how can, how can you be so obtuse when it comes to... Great British baking. I mean, oh my word. It's Thanksgiving just, it, ought to be great. It hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. So anyway, I feel better. I'll pay you the $60 later. Okay, so how are you? Doing well. Good, good. Excited good. for Thanksgiving. Excited for everything that's happening oh, today and the rest of this week. Yeah, we got, in fact, in, like in between football and everything else, you're going to be running home and throwing a turkey in an oven for tonight for the kids. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a lot of fun. I hope. Oh, fun day. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but, you know, things are amping up around our house. We've been, we've been in the middle of kind of a, a kitchen project pretty much since day one of moving into our house. Uh, Kim is not like the color of the cabinets. It's been going on for, I mean, we've been there a long time, 2004. So sometime this fall, we said, all right, let's hit it. And so we started painting them and new countertopping and all that. And with everybody coming for Thanksgiving, we didn't want them to see everything that exists inside of our cabinets. Oh, come on, that's open so concept. They are finally, they're finally up and looking great. So it's all done. And, and now we're getting ready for family to come in from mm -hmm. all over the place. Shannon flew in yesterday from Texas. Nate will be here Tuesday. More people coming on Wednesday. So yeah, it's going to be a really, it's going to be a fun week yeah. together. Can't yeah, wait. No doubt. Very, very good. So Oh my goodness, you got, you got the, the update yesterday, and as you did, you just you saw that it's full. It's full of activity coming yeah. up. In fact, you might question our sanity a little bit, <laughs> amping up activity during December when it's already a racing sort of month. Uh -huh. But I, I love what's happening on this particular weekend, uh, the weekend of December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Mm -hmm. So you want to you wanna speak to a couple of those real yeah. quick? You know what's going on? Yeah, so we are, <laughs> we're really trying to work with our church family in, in the field of evangelism, mm -hmm. sharing the gospel and making it so that we're comfortable sharing stories, making sure that we, we know the gospel through and through and we can explain it not only to, to children but to family members over the holidays, to coworkers, and, and it just becomes a, a part of the, the fire and the driving force behind what we do here. So what we've chosen to do is provide three opportunities for you to learn how to share the gospel, or work in, uh, in that field of evangelism. The three options that we have, one is a, the first is a, a testimony workshop. And yes, that, that is on purpose. It's not a spelling error. It's not a, some weird autocorrect. testimony. This is what we did at uh, Green Lake. We said, uh, 
for one of the days, we had our leaders, some of our leaders from Refuge and Revive, share their testimony, and I said, you've got to stick to 10 minutes. So I said, why not call it a tenstimony? Um, and that's what we did for the, uh, for the women's night. And so we're going to work through everybody that wants to learn how to do that, to learn how to tell your story and, and not condense it for the sake of time, but condense it for the sake of, of clarity and, um, and confidence. We want to show you how to do that. So that's available to you on Saturday, December 4th. The next day, December 5th, right after church, we're going to be get, getting all the Southfield families together, little kids, big kids, refuge, uh, all those families will be hanging out here um, afterwards to do a really, really cool thing. We're doing a gingerbread nativity scene where we're not just making little gingerbread nativity scenes that you can take home, but we're learning, uh, learning the story of the gospel along the way. So we're going to hear, um, hear a story that, again, hopefully the kids will be able to go go home and be able to share as well. So it's always really cool to me when, when a kid is able to share that story with grandma or grandpa or whoever comes in for the holidays, because people are willing to listen to, to kids. When we feel shut mm -hmm. down, we know that our, our kids have an amazing impact. Uh, and finally, uh, praying for the moment. So December 6th, we are going to be praying for, um, praying for people in this, uh, in this season who don't yet have a, a real relationship with Jesus. So maybe the, the testimony, you're not there yet. Maybe um, the nativity scene, you know, you don't have the, the kids to, to come to something like that, and, and you're just not sure where you're at, if you're ready. You can come and, and practice praying and, mm -hmm. and be together with, a, with our Southfield body of believers, our family, and, and just pray for people that, that need to come into a relationship with Jesus. We'll get some, um, some real stories there that night. Um, it's just, it's a really cool weekend. I'm mm -hmm. fired up for that mm -hmm. weekend, only to be followed the next weekend by our children's program. Right. I, I think part of the reason I, I, I love the focus is because as we, as we head into being together with so many families and friends throughout December, it, it, it aligns our minds and hearts toward a big piece of what we're about is mm -hmm. not just making sure there's a ham at Christmas or something like that, but as those, as those creases in conversations take place, that we might be able to share a piece of our mm -hmm. story. We hear somebody else and what they're going through, and we're ready with our story to be able to share, or we're ready to just bring someone along and say, Christmas is great, but it's m about more than you know getting to Target or, or whatever. It's, it's about the story of Jesus. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a great focuser for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really good. So uh, this afternoon is football, mm -hmm. uh, 1230 to 2.30, correct? Correct. So 12.30, 2.30 over at Shanahan <laughs> Junior High Soccer Field. Uh, we'll be out there. It is going to probably rain here in the morning, but we don't care. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be mm -hmm. 50s and warm and sunshiny and beautiful, and that's what I keep telling myself. Uh, so even if it is drizzling, we will play. We've played in the rain before. It's no big deal. Uh, but if, whether you want to come and play uh, or just come and watch, both of those are totally fine. Uh, but we'll be out there from. Had a couple from of people say I didn't get registered. Can I show up? Absolutely. We did the registration up front to make sure that people wanted to play, because again, if if I was just going to play catch with myself, I can do that from the comfort of my home with rather Griffin. than going right. out right. Yeah. <laughs> to the field. So yeah. we do have a solid group of people that did sign up. So if if you're hearing uh, this either for the first time or you're like, hey, that sounds like you know, I, even though I didn't get signed up, I want to go. Yeah, show up. Twelve thirty to two thirty. And if you have to, again, if you have to show up a little late, leave a little early, whatever, mm -hmm. that's fine. 
And I, and I love, you know, we've got a group right now for, for young adults, so we're, we're considering young, kind of the 18 to 25 range, mm -hmm. out of college and, or out of, out of high school, figuring out life, going to school, all those things. And, and right now, because it is Thanksgiving, we have a lot of kids that come home mm -hmm. uh, from school and join the kids that are already here. Uh, attending school here or working or doing whatever they are. So Bob and Stephanie kind of designed some of these weeks so that they're not, they're not jumping into an ongoing study. Mm -hmm. They're coming into something that, that everybody is getting in on all at the same time. So, so this particular event is, is really cool. Some of you have uh, you've heard of this series called The Chosen, which presents mm -hmm. the, the life of Jesus. And so they're going to be doing a, a watch party together. So if you're home and looking to make some connections with with some of your friends, uh, that that's coming up here too, uh, Monday night. So again, just a lot of a lot of great opportunities yeah. to get involved and be involved, and then and then like I said, you got you got turkey and food coming tonight, which yeah. will be fun for the kids. And yeah, anything so else December wise with students that they need to know? Nothing coming yet. We'll okay. we'll get to December, uh, but for tonight uh, with our high schoolers, we are meeting at our normal time, six to eight. Uh, and we've got a lot of the, the main courses taken care of through our, our leaders and, and volunteers. Um, but if, if you are coming along and you, you're like, I want to bring something, bring something small. Bring a, a small side dish or a small dessert. We, we already have, a, again, a lot of things prepped. But if you'd like to bring something just so you uh, want to show off your great British baking skills or whatever, you can totally do that. Very good. No soggy bottoms. No soggy. You're not allowed to have a soggy bottom. Okay. You have to watch the show. Anyway, so I'd like you to go ahead and read a part of Philippians chapter 3 this mm -hmm. morning. We don't have the words on the screen. You're just going to be reading it from Scripture. And, and, I, and I love this because Paul, Paul in this particular passage is talking about his pedigree, the things that in his former life he counted on for salvation, he counted on for good standing before God. And he ultimately is able to say those things that, that I used to count dear, uh, I, they're, not, they're, not the same, they're not in the same place for me anymore. So, so you're going to start here with if someone else thinks and go to Christ Jesus. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, and faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the re resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord God in heaven, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the Apostle Paul, grateful for his words, and for this perspective that you gave him in life, that he did have a season in which he, he counted on and relied on things that, that seemed so very important to him. They were just, that was it. That was, that was his identity and his purpose in life. And then he comes into this encounter with you on the Damascus Road, and he's able to look behind and say, Everything I used to count as dear, everything that mattered is gone. It's nothing. There's only, there's only one thing I want in this life, and that is to know Jesus, to be with Jesus. And I, I pray that as we move into this Christmas season, as we embrace the name Emmanuel, that we will realize that there are so many things in our life that we hold on to, that we think are so dear, so precious, they matter so much to us, and in reality, they are worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus and being with Jesus. And so we, we look to you to move our hearts further and further in that direction toward embracing the with us God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it was the week before Halloween, that we started into a series that we've kind of affectionately referred to as pre-Advent Advent. We wanted to get a head start on Advent. We have that recognition that as, as you get into the normal season of Advent, it's usually, it's just a race, right? You, you get Thanksgiving is done, and before you know it, lights are going up, tree is being bought, all those things are happening, and, and we miss out on just quieting our hearts in the presence of God and really enjoying uh, that relationship with we, we've got, we have with God. We get, we get so busy, so, so busy. So as we walked into Advent this year, as it starts next week, we want to be unpacking what that name Emmanuel means to us and what it means to, to do life with a God who is truly with us. So pre-Advent Advent was to say, what are the ways that we tend to live life apart from God? The ways in which we, we, may, we may fully embrace God in our minds, and yet somehow in our hearts, we're not living out a, a with us relationship with God. And we've looked at several right now, and, and, or th throughout the last few weeks, and, and today we're going to look at one more. And as we do, uh, I was reminded the other night, we were having a meeting, John Beaker was there, and he brought up an illustration that, that we used many years ago. I've not referenced it in a long, long time. We're talking about the way, if you want to, if you want to get involved in, in growing as a Christ follower, uh, Southfield offers a pretty simple path. Three things that we believe, if you wholeheartedly engage, uh, you'll, you'll see growth taking place in your life and in your heart. One is to be involved on Sunday morning. Here you are. To be here not only to, to hear a message and to sing, but to be with other people who love God and to devote yourself to a day, a day that says, this is a day of rest, this is a day of, of focusing on God. So, so devotion to Sunday morning is, is really important. Then devotion to, to a small group experience, to get involved in, in relationship with a group of 8, 10, 12 people that, that you're able to move beyond just a, a presentation on Sunday morning to actually discussing what's going on in the Bible and how that, how that comes up against uh, things that are happening in your life. So, so you have Sunday morning and, and, and small groups. And the third one is to get involved in serving. To find a place that you say, I, I'm going I'm to use the gifts and talents that God has given me in order to serve. 
And, and it's funny because there's something about serving that it, it really doesn't seem like a complicated thing, right? Figure out my giftedness, find an opportunity, get involved in serving. And when I look at those th three things, Sunday morning, small groups, and serving, it, it seems like serving is the place that a lot of people get hung up. And I'm not just talking about finding a volunteer opportunity. I'm, I'm talking about what happens as we start to serve. As we start to serve, we're serving with other people. And every once in a while, you'll end up with kind of a, a personality bump with somebody else. And you're like, oh, what do you do with that? Or, or you get involved in an area of serving, and, and it seems to be going along really well. And all of a sudden, you're just like, man, this doesn't feel the way it used to. I'm not getting out of it what I used to. There's just something, something's not right. And as we've looked at this through the years, you know, I, I, I like to come back and say this, that, that when it comes to serving, we get in our minds that we're going to do something great for God. This is my opportunity to do something great for God. We're going to do a mighty work for God. And what we always miss is that when we get involved in serving, it's God's intention to do a mighty work on us. It's God's intention to reveal to us primarily motives, to reveal to us areas that, that our motivation may look great on the outside, but on the inside there's some ick going on there. And, and the way that God gets at that spiritual ick in our lives is, is to get us involved in an area of serving where he not only reveals himself to us, but he reveals us to ourselves. And we start to see things about ourselves. If we're truly honest, and we're not just looking and pointing and blaming everybody else. If we're truly honest, we start to see some areas that God wants to grow us. And that gets revealed through our serves. And so today we're going to talk about the use me God. God, I want to be used. God, I long to be used. And, and each, of the, each of the different um, ways that we live life apart from God, we've referred to kind of a... Hmm, a sinful thread that happens in the human heart. This one is a little different. I think a lot of times when we get involved in wanting to serve, it comes from a spirit of activism. And by activism, I'm not talking about political activism. That's not it. I'm talking about an activism that says, I just need to do something. I just need to get involved. I just, I want to do something for God. I've got to do something for God. And, and on the surface, it sounds like a great motivation. Who doesn't want to do something for God? Who doesn't want to be used by God? It's in the goal of most Christ followers that they're like, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me greatly in your kingdom. I want you to use me to reach other people. I want you to use me to serve others. Uh, we, we go back to passages like Isaiah chapter 6. Beautiful passage. And here's a man offering to be used by God. He's... he's caught up. This is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he's caught up in a moment. Passage starts by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. Now, you hear that and go, whatever. For them, they knew exactly when that was. That, that date was marked for them. They knew when King Uzziah died. It would be like me saying to a group of Americans, in the year John Kennedy was shot. And you go, 1963. I know that year. In fact, not only... 1963, but tomorrow is the anniversary of his death. So for them, that, that hearing in the year King Uzziah died is like telling a group of Americans in the year John Kennedy was shot. In that very year, I saw the Lord. He was seated on the throne. Train of his robe was, was filling the temple with glory. 
There's seraphim flying around the throne, two wings covering their eyes, two wings covering their feet, and they're they're flying around and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The temple is shaking to its very foundations. The entire place is filled with smoke. And I love this because, because Isaiah's reaction isn't, wow, am I lucky to be here. Oh, this is the best. Isaiah's reaction is one of just being torn apart. He says, it's all over. I'm doomed. In the presence of a holy God, all he could see was his sinfulness. All he could see was the fact that that he wasn't worthy to be there in that moment. And you have this seraphim that flies over and takes a coal from the the altar and brings it over and touches his lips and says, you've been forgiven, you've been cleansed. And all of this is happening because God wants to send someone to go be a messenger to his people, deliver a hard message, a message of repentance, a message that they need to turn. And after all of this beauty takes place, you hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who shall go for us? And Isaiah is so moved that it's like his hand goes in the air. God, I'm here. I'm here. Send me. Use me. Use me, God. Please use me. There's nothing wrong with the longing in the heart of a person to be used by God. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we do finally put our hand in the air and say, God, use me, some things get revealed in our hearts. Some things get revealed about who we are and the way we're operating. And what we find out is that we've been doing a lot of stuff for God, but we've not necessarily been doing it with God. We've not necessarily been doing it in the power of God. And God wants us not to just do things for him, not to just serve him, but he actually wants to use serving as an opportunity to experience his withness. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings that I love. I mean, it, it ranks among, among my top ten. 1 Kings, you have, you have Elijah who has this what can only be described as a true, literal, mountaintop experience. They're on Mount Carmel. Kim and I have had the privilege of of visiting this spot. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. You get to the top of this mountain, and you look off in one direction, and you can see the Mediterranean Sea. You look off in the other direction, and you can see the Valley of Megiddo, the place that the Battle of Armageddon is to take place. And if you look way, way over here, you can see a little town, and it's Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Just an amazing scene from the top of this mountain. And as you get to the top of the mountain, you know, when you visit Israel, you'll, you'll go to these different places, and they have shrines. This is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, well, did he really, or is that where somebody built a shrine and said, this is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount? When you get to Mount Carmel, you know, you know this is the place that fire came down from heaven and touched earth. That a prayer was lifted up to God and fire came down from heaven and touched earth in that very spot. Elijah's caught in a mess. His nation is falling apart. Israel has turned their back on God. You remember by now that that the nation is divided into two nations. You have ten tribes to the north, known as Israel, and two tribes to the south, known as Judah. And Israel has very quickly morally degraded. And right now they have a king named Ahab and a queen named Jezebel. And she's actually encouraged the nation to get involved in child sacrifice as as part of their worship to the false god Baal. They have absolutely fallen apart. God wants to get their attention, and so he sends a drought. 
A drought that Elijah declares, a drought that lasts for three years. And when it comes time for the end of the drought, he sends Elijah to go meet with Ahab, and they have this competition on Mount Carmel, a competition between the false prophets of Baal and the one standing there, Elijah, the prophet of the true living God. You know the story. He challenges them. He says, you build an altar. You go ahead and put a sacrifice on that. And you call on Baal to send fire from heaven. And then I'm going to do the same to the God of heaven. And we'll see who brings down fire. You have the beautiful prayer found in, found in verse 36 where he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. Show these people that you are truly God. And, and, and as his prayer is happening, it says immediately fire comes down from heaven. It burns the sacrifice. It burns the wood. It says it burns the stones. It laps up the water that Elijah had poured on this offering. And the people start to cry out, the Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. I mean, you know, this is, if this happened on the Sunday, you'd be bummed you missed. This is a big day. This is, this is the kind of day that preachers live for. This is the best. Not only have you seen the power of God, but people have turned back to the living God. They're ready to follow him. This is amazing. Chapter 19 arrives. Chapter 19, Jezebel the queen finds out what happens. What happened? And she says, hey, if I'm living tomorrow, let my gods kill me if I have not taken the life of Elijah. Not having read any more, you, you imagine where Elijah's spirit is right now. He's got to be riding high. He's got to be thinking, hey, if God brought fire once, he can do it again, right? I mean, he's, he's ready, but the Bible says no, just the opposite. He hears the threat, and he runs. He runs for his life. He's alone in the wilderness, it says. He traveled all day. He's under a broom tree. He's laying there. And, and after this great event, just a day before, he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. How in the world do you go from fire from heaven one day to kill me now the next day? And I would contend it didn't happen in 24 hours. It happened over a season. It happened over a season in which, in which Elijah was starting to lose some perspective on his relationship with God. In which he felt like he was to be used by God, but he had fallen away from being with God, really enjoying the presence of God. Look at, look at some of the factors that went into this, this decline of spirit for Elijah. The very first verse, it says, in the third year of the drought. This drought had been going on for, for three years. It was a season of disorientation, a season that was not like other seasons. Three years of drought, hard drought. People were dying because of this drought. I heard on the radio the other day, I was reminded that we're, we're entering now the third year of COVID. Third year. And I don't know about you, it's a little wearing, isn't it? It just, it's been disorienting, and it's wearing. And I think for Elijah, he just started to experience some of the tiredness of soul that takes place when he was involved in a disorienting season. You go a little further, and we see that there was a point that Jezebel tried to kill all the prophets of the Lord. And there's this faithful man named Obadiah who serves Ahab, but also is true to the living God. 
And he helps to save a hundred of those hundred of those prophets in two separate caves. What is it like for Elijah to wake up every day and know, today's the day I could die. Today's the day they could kill me. The t- today's the day they could take me out. This is, it's wearing on his soul. He finally has this encounter with Ahab. Ahab who is wicked as wicked as wicked can be. And what does he say to Elijah? So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? You troublemaker This is Ahab's fault. This is Jezebel's fault. This is the people's fault. And instead, people are like, Elijah, why did you bring this drought on us? And all of this is having a a shriveling effect on the soul of Elijah. This one, though, I think, this one's tough, all right? Elijah comes to the people. They're on Mount Carmel, and he says, you know, I've been wanting to worship Baal and you've been wanting to worship Jehovah. You want a little bit of both. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Exclusive. You don't, get, you don't get to a la carte God. I'll take three of those, one of those, two of those. Doesn't work that way. All in for Jesus, period. And Elijah's like, you want a little Baal, you want a little Jehovah, would you at least choose? Go all in on Baal, go all in on Jehovah, choose. And it says, the people's response, they just stood there in stunned silence. No reaction, no response. It was just, there was just, just flatline response. He had poured his heart out to the people and they're indifferent. It would, he, he probably would have had an easier time if they'd at least been against. They were indifferent. They didn't care about their own souls. And then you get this piece of the heart of Elijah that happens so often when we're involved in serving. He, he declares this in this message and then says it several times in the, next message, in the next chapter to God. I am the only prophet of the Lord left. He had developed a spirit of isolation that says, I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one that's giving my all. I look around, no, nobody's trying as hard as me. Nobody's with me in this. I am alone. He built this, he built this mindset that He was the only one who even wanted to be used by God. And it was eating at him. It was eating at him. We have this great miracle on Mount Carmel. The fire comes down, consumes the offering. And then he's to tell Ahab, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. So it says, they're standing there on the mountain. And he he sends his servant. He says, "Go, go look toward the sea. You can see the Mediterranean Sea as clear as day. He says, go look toward the sea and see if you see a cloud. And he goes and looks and says, I don't see a cloud. He comes back to Elijah. I don't see a cloud. He says, go look again. Goes look again. I don't see a cloud. It says, this happened seven times and finally there's a cloud. And I'm looking at this and thinking, why didn't God just bring a cloud the first time? Why did the servant have to go back seven times and look for a cloud? Sometimes we look at these prophets as if everything that happened to them was supernatural, miraculous, and obvious, but they went through things like we do too, where you pray and the response isn't there, and you pray again and the response isn't there, and you keep going back and the response isn't there, and it just weighs down and grates on the soul. All of this, I think, had gone into bringing Elijah to a place that when the threat finally came, it was, it was just the, it was the last straw. It was the last straw. He was done. He was tired. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed Elijah. And Elijah flees for his life. 
He runs. He runs. And here's what I love. God starts to reveal to Elijah what serving is really all about. God starts to reveal to Elijah that it wasn't just about Elijah having fulfilled his desire to be used by God. He had something more going on. He didn't want Elijah to just be used. He wanted him to truly enter into a with relationship with the living God. He wanted him to experience that togetherness with God. And he wants that same thing for you and for me. So he, he travels on out. And it says he gets under the broom tree. Lord, take my life. Take my life. And he's laying there and he falls asleep. And he falls asleep and an angel comes and taps him and says, hey, I've made some food for you. Get up and eat. I don't know about you, an angel wakes me up and says, get up and eat. I'm, I'm like, wait, what? He doesn't even react. He's just like, okay, I'll eat. And so he eats, and then he lays down and sleeps again. And the angel comes again, get up and eat. And he feeds him again. And he says, this journey is going to be really, really long for you. You need the strength to be able to make it. And he eats again, and after rest and after eating, he travels 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and he goes to a cave and he spends the night there. See, part of what I love about what God starts to do for Elijah is that he reminds him, he reminds him that, that he, needs, he needs some basic care of his own soul. God wants to provide for him. God wants to provide for him rest and nourishment. In the process of serving others, he had deprived himself of the spiritual rest and the spiritual nourishment that he needed. Sometimes we'll get so active in doing for others that we forget we need Sunday for us too. It's not just for everybody else that we're serving. We need time to pull away and spend time in the presence of God. We need time to hear God's word and to receive that spiritual nourishment, not just for the sake of teaching someone else, but to actually receive it for ourselves. He needed spiritual rest. He needed spiritual nourishment. And too often in the work of God, we just run, 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 run until we drop. Instead of stopping, it's kind of like, like when you're on the airplane, right? If the mask drops, you're supposed to put yours on first. First time I heard that, I'm like, that is the most selfish thing. There is no way I'm putting on my mask and Kim's going to be sitting there maskless. I'm going to put her mask on. And we know full well, why do you put your mask on first? Because if you don't, you might die. You won't be able to put anybody's mask on if you don't put your own on first. How well will we be able to serve others if we're not getting the spiritual rest and the spiritual nourishment we need in order to share that with other people? So there came the spiritual and rest and spiritual nourishment that God provided. God basically saying, here's what I want to do for you. And starting to call his attention to the fact that he truly, he didn't want to just use Elijah. He wanted to be with Elijah. Then comes this question. I love this question. After the feeding, after, after the 40 days getting to Mount, Mount Sinai, there in the cave, he, he wakes up to God and God asks him this very simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? From time to time, we need to hear God questioning us. What are you doing here right now? What is going on in your heart? What's happening in your soul? What are you doing in this place right now? You know, maybe you've just come to a, you've come to a point of, of anger, of bitterness, of detachment, of resentment. You're involved in serving and you're in an ugly place. 
and you hear God say, what are you doing here right now? What are you doing here? See, what I love is that God was doing prompting and probing at a deep soul level. He was saying to Elijah, it's, it's not about the serve. It's about you. It's about what I'm trying to grow in you. It's about, it's about the change I'm trying to bring about in you. Elijah, you know, God asks you, what are you doing here? And he is just so gut honest. He's so gut honest. I mean, he says, I have served you like a madman. People have turned their back on you. They've killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. He, he doesn't flower it up for God. Well, you know, I, I just, I've had a wrong perspective. I'm sorry, God. He just lays it out. There's nasty stuff going on in my soul. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, want you to go into a cave, and I'm going to pass by. And it says, first a windstorm came, and, and, and it says God wasn't in the windstorm. And then an earthquake came, and, and God wasn't in the, in the earthquake. And then a fire came, and, and God wasn't in the fire. And then, and then there was a gentle whisper, and God was in the gentle whisper. And then the voice comes again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here right now? Locate yourself. What's going on? And what I find in this is God so graciously, God made his presence known in the pause. We think we're going to find God in all the action and activity. We're going to find God in the whirlwind. We're going to find God in the fire. We're going to find God in the earthquake. We're going to find God in the big moment. And it was actually in the pause. It was in the quiet that the voice of God speaks and says, what are you doing here? We, we, we don't like the pauses. We like all the action. We love the action. We love the adrenaline rush of serving. And we're not as crazy about the pause moments where God is saying, let's check in with where the heart is right now. Again, <laughs> same speech all over again. I've served you. The people have turned their back on you. They're killing everybody. I'm the only one left. Did you not hear me the first time, God? And, and I love this because we, we don't have God saying, Elijah, you are a mess. You, you just go take a nap. He, he, Elijah, God provides for Elijah. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and anoint the new king of Israel. I want you to do some other anointing along the way. And one of the anointings you're going to do is a, is a fellow named Elisha, and he's the guy that's going to be your replacement. He's going to be your replacement. You know, initially I wanted to say what God did here is he provided Elijah a partner, but I, I really don't think that's what he did. He promised Elijah a future beyond his efforts. Sometimes we get in our minds, when we're gone, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's God's work. When you step away from your serve, it's God's work. It's not your work. It's God's work. Elijah needed to be reminded it was not his work, it was God's work. And God was in, inviting him to witness in that serve. Oh, and then one last thing. God, God can't resist saying, by the way, Elijah, there are 7,000 other people who have still not bowed the knee. So you can stop the martyr game right now. There are 7,000 people who are still faithful to living God. I suspect in the season in which we exist, we have at least few people in the room that say, I am the only one left that truly gets it. I'm the only one left that is faithful to God. And God's saying, eh, look around the room. There are a few more than you. Stop being so haughty. He gave him a perspective 
that challenged his false narrative. He had bought into the lie. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. In all these ways, God wants to do the same for you. God doesn't want to simply use you. God wants to be with you as you serve. He wants to teach you some things about yourself. He wants to teach you some things about himself. He wants to teach you some things about other people. He wants to use it as an opportunity to grow you. We get so messed up on this. We think we're going to do great things for God. And God says, no, I want to do great things in you. And this is the vehicle I'm going to use in order to bring that to pass. So just like the others, I'm going to give you four questions to reflect on. Four questions that I suspect all of us need to ask ourselves. The first is this, how does your serve feel these days? The areas that you're serving, how does it feel? Is there energy in life? Is there, I am the only one left that cares? How does it feel these days? How does that serve feel? And then dig a little deeper. What motivates your serve? Is it love? Is it duty? Is it guilt? I don't do it, nobody else will. Is it gratitude? Where's the motivation? But here's the toughest one of all, I think, one that you really need to sit with. If you're in kind of an Elijah moment with your serve, on what or whom do you blame your burnout and detachment? He had a list of reasons that he was in a bad place and none of them were the real issue. The real issue was where he wasn't in his relationship with God. What's God calling you to, to bring you back to himself? And then, and then wrap it up with, <clears throat> what, what does the move look like from working for God to working with God? God doesn't want you to just work for him. God wants to work with you. He wants you to learn more and more about what it means to be, to be empowered by God, to just walk with God. And he wants to use your serve to do that. I had Brian read the Philippians passage. I love this about the Apostle Paul. He goes through his pedigree. He talks about all the reasons that he was a commendable Jew. All the reasons that he can give to say, man, I had it all together. I was the servant of servants. And he says, all these things I once held dear and valuable, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless com when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There it is. It's not about knowing how to serve better. It's not knowing about your particular area of expertise. It's about the opportunity to know Jesus better. Your serve gives you an avenue to know Jesus better. And the question is, are you walking that avenue or not? The Lord asks you today, even as he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you in this spot right now? I'm going to say something that, that you might initially find uh, controversial. It may bug you as much as them kicking my favorite guy off base. But anyway, God doesn't need you. Doesn't need you. Amazingly, his, his universe could function just fine without you. God could do it better. God could do it faster. God could get it right the first time, the second time, and every time. God could just say, get her done, and it would happen. God doesn't need you. He truly doesn't need you. God wants you. 
Can you hear the difference? Isn't it great to be wanted? Not needed, but wanted. When we enter serving from the standpoint of God needs me, it's easy to become a martyr. But God wants you. He wants you to get involved in the serve so that you can actually enter into a deeper relationship with him. God wants you. Emmanuel is truly the with us God, even in the serve. And so God, our hearts pray out to you today that we will locate ourselves, that we will accept the question, what are you doing here? That we'll look at where we are in our serve and in our walk with you and we'll start realizing that your true desire, your deepest desire, is not that we get the job done. It's not that we become more effective in our serve. It's, it's not that we get it right the first time. It's about knowing you, Jesus. It's about knowing what it means to come to the end of our ropes and understand what it means to do this in your power and not in our power. It's about sharing in a friendship with you. Not, not, just, not just looking to, to, to give you something, but to be with you. Move us to that place of, of being able to embrace, embrace Emmanuel, the with us God. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas is close. The weather has changed. We even had a little bit of snow. The leaves are covered, colored and almost fallen. All of that invites the worship team to sing Seasons again. They were so excited. They're like, I think we can finally do it. And so we're going to do Seasons this morning. And then, and then the next song is a declaration of our faith. This I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the three in one. As we start to sing this I believe, that's the point at which we'll throughout the room move to communion. So we have two tables at the front and two at the back. Gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as a table to the back side. And as that song starts, feel free to move toward communion. So we'll sing seasons first and then as this I believe begins. Nobody's going to say go to communion now. It'll just be time to go ahead and move. Kim's been involved in a study with a group of women about on the book of Esther. And she had a great question the other day. She said, why did they name it the book of Esther? Why is it not named the book of Mordecai? Because it seems like throughout the story, you know, you have a couple of appearances of Esther, but throughout the story, it's the uncle that's constantly kind of the centerpiece of what's happening in, in all the activities. I don't have an answer for that, I don't. But she raised one of the most common verses in that book is the verse in which Mordecai, her uncle, says to her, you know, Esther, God wants to use you. Salvation for the Jews can come from you. But if you choose to not do what God's calling you to do, it'll come from someone else. And who doesn't know that you weren't created for just such a time as this? You know what I think Mordecai was saying to his niece? God doesn't need you. God wants you. He wants you. He will accomplish his purposes. Don't get me wrong. You're not so indispensable that God's not going to do what God wants to do. But he'd love to enter into relationship with you through service.
He'd love that opportunity. And the question is, are we going to finally see that serve in its proper light? That it's not about us doing things for God, it's about what God is doing in us. It's about the way he's molding us and making us season after season after season to look more like Jesus. I hope you'll leave here today and as you enter into your Thanksgiving, you'll spend some time with the question, what are you doing here? And you'll hear those words again and again. In the right sense, God doesn't need me. He wants me. See what that unfolds in your heart. I think you're going to find yourself entering into a different place in your relationship with God as you realize you are truly wanted. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll see.